It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Touchdown, Los Angeles. You are Locked On Rams, your daily Los Angeles Rams podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Rams Nation. What's happening? What's good? It's your boy Bear Motter of Rams Podcast, but this is Lockdown Rams. It's the Friday edition of Lockdown Rams. It's brought to you by Built Bar. It's not your typical protein bar that's dense and gritty and difficult to chew. Not Built Bar. This texture is light and fluffy and covered in 100% dark chocolate. And with Lockdown, we're giving you a promo code that gets you $10 off your first box. So head over to BuiltBar.com, enter the promo code Locked on and try them today. As for today, we've got a great show. We've got Jake Ellenbogen back with us. We are doing another what if in the history of the Los Angeles Rams. Really excited about this one. Uh, so let's bring in Jake Ellenbogen. Jake, how you doing, my man? I'm um, great, Brad. I'm excited to be here uh, once again this week. It's been a lot of fun doing these. Oh, yeah. I always love talking Rams football with you, especially when it's in the 2000s and the 2018, 19, 20 season stuff. But I love going back in history because uh, you've been covering this team uh, all the way through even back into the 50s. We were talking about you watching some film the other day going back that far and that the NFL needs to release all film that way. They do. (laughs) You know, the historians of the game can see some of this footage because uh, just kind of doing a little research on this next topic, which we're going to talk about. Elroy crazy legs Hirsch uh, watching some of the footage from that time is it's just timeless I mean it's it's a cliche term but watching it uh, and seeing the black and white and seeing the way that football was being played uh, pretty cool stuff especially with the Rams and seeing everyone else in those blank helmets and then the Rams obviously with the horns on the helmet really uh, putting forth uh, across the league as far as getting that logo onto the helmet the Rams a big part of that history but Love going back in the day and talking some old school Rams history. And that's what we're going to do. So we're going to talk about Elroy Crazy Legs Hirsch. What if, and the fun thing about him when you're looking at the history with the Rams, uh, there's many what if scenarios from him, right? What if uh, he stayed in Chicago and played? We'll talk about that. What if when he came to Los Angeles and played for a handful of years and retired, what if he just walked away from football, didn't come back as a GM and help uh, put together teams for the future of the Rams? And many other scenarios. What if he went full-time Hollywood? The guy was making movies and was a pretty big star. Uh, good-looking guy who was you know, really comfortable on the film and on the screen and being here in Hollywood. Uh, what if he just went that direction too? So many different ways to look at it. Uh, so we're going to talk about all that today here on the Friday edition of Lockdown Rams. Guys, don't forget you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Himalaya. Hit the subscribe button. Leave a five-star review. Tell us how we're doing. You can find us both on social media, LA underscore Rambling Bears, my personal, JK Bogan DTR is Jake's, as well as at Downtown Rams, at Lockdown Rams for both the shows, and Jake is still crushing it with the Downtown Podcast Network. And if you guys are listening to this today on Friday, there's still a chance to win some really cool stuff. Jake's doing some giveaways. Uh, They also, on Thursday, actually, as you're listening, this probably already did uh, their Madden simulation, but still some chances to go over there. So check out them on social media to make sure that you get an all opportunity to win some of the cool stuff that they're giving away. And keep an eye out because they're going to be doing this uh, for a while and they got a bunch of fun stuff planned, continue to grow. So if you guys are looking for a writing role or any way to get involved, reach out to Jake as well. 
Uh, but Jake, with all that out of the way, uh, let's just get right into it. Friday's edition of Lockdown Rams. Elroy Crazy Lakes Hirsch was many things for the Los Angeles Rams, but what if he never connected with the organization? I'm Bear Mater of Lockdown Rams. I'm joined by Jake Ellibogan of the Downtown Sports Network, and this is your lead story. Jake, right out of the gate, there's so many what ifs, but looking back on the career of Crazy Lakes, let's just start way back in the beginning when the Rams drafted him back in 1946. He was still in the military and at the time wasn't uh, ready to play. And when he finished, he wanted to stay locally, kind of close to his hometown in Wisconsin, was talked about playing with the Green Bay Packers, ended up in Chicago playing a few years there. Uh, and really, it kind of came to a head when he thought he was deserving of a bonus. The Chicago team did not. Uh, he decided to split ways with them, tried to sign with the Packers, but the Rams still owned his right. Uh, let's talk about Right at the beginning, what if Chicago ended up saying, you know what, you earn your bonus, here's your check, he stays out Chicago, plays for a while. Looking back at history, is what are your thoughts on the what-if moment at the beginning of his career with the Rams? Oh, man. Uh, this this guy, I mean, just doing all the research I did, this guy meant so much to this organization. And, you know, you talk about the idea of sticking with the Chicago Rockets, who, you know, by the way, weren't even in the NFL uh, that was an All-America Football Conference team. Uh, so it's a completely different league. I don't think, you know, a lot of people know that um, because I, I feel like a lot of people just assume like the AFL and the NFL were just like a thing for like ever. And that's all that there were. But there were other right. leagues. Um, the thing that's really important to keep in mind is that uh, during this time, you're talking about Don Hudson, uh, who actually was still um playing for the Packers, one of the greatest receivers ever. Uh, and you're talking about the fact that Elroy wanted to play with him in Green Bay. I mean, that would have been like lethal. I mean, Green Bay was already scary as it was, but I mean, that would have been lethal. So uh, good thing that didn't happen on that front. Um, the reason he wanted to play for the Chicago Rockets is because, you know, obviously he starts out um, at Wisconsin. Uh, then he has to transfer to Michigan because they are offering, um, you know, the Marine program that he wanted to be a part of. And so uh, it was very interesting because the V12 Navy college training program was being held at Michigan. So he was kind of forced in going there. I, he still views himself as a Wolverine and he is in their, their hall of fame. Uh, but he really wanted to stay at Wisconsin and um, later on in the story, as you find out, is that, you know, he that's where he ended up going back. That that's what he views as his you know original home, uh, which, you know, makes plenty of sense. But the thing that's interesting is when he goes into the military uh, for a year, he's actually drafted by the Rams during that time. Uh, however, he plays football in this football military league and his like the same coach he had then Dick Hanley. Uh, he is actually um, the coach of the Chicago Rockets when he gets out of the military. And so he, that that is why he decides to go and play there. You know, the familiarity, the comfortability, you know, all of that, um, which is really interesting. But the Chicago Hornets, as you said, they breach. Uh, well, they become the Chicago Hornets. They're, they're the Rockets initially, and they changed to the Hornets. In 1949, they breached their contract or so you know, the allegation said is basically they didn't pay uh, Crazy Legs the um, bonus that he was entitled to receive it. And so for that reason, 
uh, he decided he wanted to go back to the NFL and, you know, he knew he was drafted by the Rams, but he wanted to play for the Packers. And I know what you're probably thinking already. This guy sounds like a jerk. He sounds, you know, entitled, uh, but his reasonings were fair. Uh, however, the Rams reasonings for wanting him were fair. This is a first round pick. This is a guy that they invested in while he was in the military and the NFL. Um, I don't know the exact how long you would have, you know, to a player's rights, but the NFL was not about to allow players that came back from the military to completely crush the team that gave them the opportunity right. and the team that, you know, actually spent a pick on them when another guy could have been readily available. And they, I mean, keep in mind the Rams lost him for, you know, quite a bit. I mean, they drafted him uh, a lot earlier um, than, you know, where people think, I mean, that that's the thing is like, he was out there for a while, um, you know, in that, that league with the Chicago Rockets, uh, but when you really look at it, man, you know, he didn't get to the Rams until uh, 1949 was his first year uh, during the breach of contract. I mean, he was drafted by the Rams uh, in the uh, he's fifth overall in the 1945 NFL draft. So just mm. think about that. You draft a guy today in the top 10, the top five even, and he get he, he enlists in the military uh, and you and you draft him, you know, knowing for, you know full well he's going to come back. And four years later, he's like, eh, "I think I'm going to go play for the Patriots." And you're like, uh, "I think you're not going to go." Play for the <laughs> <Patriots>, you know? <laughs> yeah, so, it's funny. It kind of has a little flashback. I mean, we just watched the the Jordan documentary, and Kukoc was drafted, even though he was going to be playing in another uh, country. And when he came back, the Bulls still had his draft rights. Kind of a similar aspect of. You know, drafting a guy high and then the league, thankfully, allowing that team the first crack at getting them back into the league. And you mentioned, you know, kind of him uh, jumping back into the league and, you know, being drafted in the 45 draft and not getting with the Rams until uh, 1948. And it's kind of an interesting transition in that time of the NFL and where they were with the game. A lot of running going on, kind of a three yards in a cloud of dust type of league at that point. And we'll talk about next how he transitioned uh, the wide receiver game and really what could have happened with his career while he was in Los Angeles, some Hollywood attention he was getting definitely while he was over here. Uh, and then, of course, we saw what happened after his career. So we'll talk about those next two steps of the career path of Elroy, Crazy Legs, Hirsch, and what could have been. Before we do that, I want to talk to you guys about Built Bar. If you aren't aware about this, this is the best protein bar that's out there, or at least in my opinion. The typical protein bar is dense, gritty, and difficult to chew, but not Built Bar. The texture is light and fluffy. It's covered in 100% dark chocolate. With each bite you take, you're going to think you're cheating on your diet, but you're not. Here's some of the facts behind what you're actually eating. If you kind of compare it to another popular bar, the Cliff Bar, earmuffs everybody, uh, it has seven times fewer carbs, seven times less sugar grams, and more protein. And your question is, how can it be as good as it is? I don't ask those type of questions. I just taste them. Built Bar is amazing. And right now, if you head over to BuiltBar.com, enter the promo code LOCKDOWN, you get $10 off your first box. There's 18 in a box. All the flavors are delicious. Um, I think one of my favorite is definitely the uh, mint brownie delight is one of my favorite. And then they also have the peanut butter brownie, which is awesome. German chocolate cake. They've got six new flavors if you want to try those as an add-on. But head over there, builtbar.com, enter the promo code LOCKDOWN, you get $10 off your first box. 
The Suns rise in Orlando, but their playoff hopes set in the West. From our local experts to your ears, these are the biggest stories on the Locked On Podcast Network. Despite finishing a perfect 8-0 in the NBA bubble, the Phoenix Suns are leaving without a playoff berth. Check out Locked On Suns today for a postmortem on an amazing run by Devin Booker and company. That's all thanks to tiebreakers and a Karis LeVert jumper that rimmed out, giving the Portland Trail Blazers a win and a meeting with the Memphis Grizzlies in a play-in series for the Western Conference 8th seed. That begins on Saturday. Beginning today, all of the Locked On NBA playoff teams will be previewing the playoffs with special crossover shows. Scout your team and your opponent on the Locked On Podcast Network. Local experts on the biggest stories, it's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. back here talking about what if what would have happened Elroy crazy legs Hirsch which by the way uh, one of the best nicknames going back in time in NFL football and it's funny if you watch him talk about it and even watch the way he ran uh, he talked about how he had his left leg uh, pointed out a little bit more than his right leg and it created this kind of swinging motion when he had to pick it up and kick it around front and kind of created a funny running style that a writer then kind of dubbed him as crazy legs. And he said when he first started, you know, people would call him Elroy. It was really weird for him. And very much to me, when people kind of call me Brad, sometimes I think of, well, my nickname is bear. I hear bear all the time. So I, I related with crazy legs there when he was like, everyone just called me legs or crazy legs. And hearing my own first name was a little interesting. And we talked about him being at Wisconsin back uh, in the forties. Pretty interesting, man. Got to give a shout out to my grandpa, Bob Motter, RIP, uh, he was at Wisconsin in, I think, 46 through 50. He was on uh, the Wisconsin basketball team. And I would have loved uh, to be able to ask him about Elroy Hirsch and if he had any connection with him as obviously alums out there are really proud. And you mentioned earlier how proud he was to be uh, from the state of Wisconsin. But pretty interesting as I was kind of connecting those pieces as you were talking, thinking, hey, man, my grandpa Bob was there at the same time and uh, you know, winning some Big Ten championships. So pretty cool stuff when it relates. I got a personal connection to see how close it really gets. But I want to get back to the story of Elroy Crazy Legs Hirsch. You were kind of walking us through, uh, you know, kind of the interesting part of him uh, being drafted by the Rams. And then obviously when he wanted to come back and play, uh, he came out here and they at first didn't really know what to do with them. They kind of used them split time at running back, split time at wide receiver, and then kind of fully transitioned them into the wide receiver position. Uh, big time coach kind of helped that transition. Talk to us about really what he meant at the wide receiver position and what would have been maybe if they just kept them at running back or uh, didn't involve that passing game that the Rams kind of did when they went back to back to back uh, championship games. It was three years in a row. Is that correct? Yeah, so it, exactly. It, it you know, um they were in back to back to back championship games. Uh the thing with Elroy it, it's very interesting. So he starts out uh with the Chicago Rockets and the thing is there uh he's throwing the ball, he's running the ball. He's kind of a one-man rock band, you know. So then <clears throat> he goes to the Rams and they're like, well, you know, everybody played defense back in the day. So you knew he was going to play some defense, of course. Um, but, you know, they didn't know how to use him. So like his first year or so, 
like they, you know, experiment him as a running back as well. I mean, he had 68 carries in his rookie season and only 22 receptions. So, you know, I mean, they kind of wanted to use him as a gadget guy for lack of a better term back in the day. Um, and then you get to 1950 and they're like, well, you know, you're not bad. I mean, you averaged 4.2 yards per carry last year. Uh, but you do seem to be pretty good at this receiver thing. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, so like, you know, he ends up getting 10 starts in 1950, his second year. Keep in mind at the time. And the thing that's really unfortunate about this whole circumstance with the Chicago Rockets and, uh, you know, basically enlisting in the military, it's no knock on the military. Uh, but his second season with the Rams, you're talking about a 27 year old. So like he's in his prime already, hasn't yeah. really had a chance to really, you know, compile the great stats that, you know, you see with other guys by the time they're 27. And of course, you know, that was kind of the norm back then, because of course, a lot of people went to the military and went to, you know, just different time back then. Yeah. So, um, so that's the only, you know, downside to that, but 1950, he's 27 years old. He has 687 yards. You have to keep this in mind. 687 yards in 1950 is great for a receiver, but seven touchdowns is also great. Um, he was doing things that no one had seen since Don Hudson, uh, who was, you know, right up there in that category. Um, he dominated the 40s uh, with the Packers, uh, you know, aforementioned Don Hudson. But here's the thing here. Here's the real kicker. 1951 is maybe the greatest season a wide receiver has ever had and will ever have. His 1951 season is incredible. I don't think people understand getting 1,495 yards receiving back in the 50s is just not heard of. It's just, right. it was just, it was so rare. He also tied Don Hudson's touchdown record in a season with 17 that actually stood the test of time for 20 years and we're talking 12 games right they only played 12 games exactly back then. exactly bear so that that is my biggest thing here is like yes okay yes there are guys like randy moss and jerry rice and i get that i know what you're saying um they had some you know great seasons you're talking about the fact that deandre hopkins had a season where he didn't drop a pass he's targeted over you know a hundred something times uh, but at the same time, we got to give this guy props because at the end of the day, Elroy crazy likes Hirsch. If he plays 16 games and use the averages, he had a better season than Megatron did. Right. Megatron's, you know, record breaking season with almost 2000 yards receiving. And if you ever think that anybody will get to 2000 yards, let's just put it this way. Elroy crazy likes Hirsch wouldn't have even gotten to 2000 yards. He would have had 1983, I believe. So, that's saying a lot. Right. And that's with the average insane. of 124 yards per game. And and who knows? Maybe he has one of those crazy games where he puts up 175 one of those days and cracks over 2,000. He was right there. There's an argument well, that you say that yeah. 1951, he had four touchdowns and he had 175 <laughs> yards in the game that Norm Van Brocklin Broke the single game passing record that still stands today. Crazy. So yes, five hundred and fifty four yards, by the way. Five hundred and fifty four yep. yards. He said it in fifty one. That team was incredible. And and the reason I want to bring this up is because it's not just about Elroy in this whole story. It's a lot has to do with Joe Stidahar because Stidahar was in 
he was around teams that simply just ran the football. Yeah. And the Rams had the bull elephant backfield. Uh, they had uh, Paul Horner, they had Tank Younger, and they had one of my favorites all time, you know, just looking through history, Deacon Dan Towler. Uh, Dan Towler, I have made the argument before, is the fifth best running back in Rams history, only behind, uh, you know, your Eric Dickerson's, your Marshall Fox, your Todd Gurley's, and your Steven Jackson's. Mm-hmm. I mean, he is that good. Um, he retired young and all that, whatever. But the, the thing is, everybody had a good running game. Everybody ran the football. That was that was the norm. So when Joe Stidahar decided to, you know, challenge the status quo, I mean, that was what was so impressive is the fact that he was willing to do that. And then basically, you know, the whole Don Hudson thing, he was like, well, why don't we just start going with the greatest show on grass here? And Norm Van Brockley and Bob Waterfield, which, uh, again, is unheard of now. uh, But those two were a platoon quarterback, um, you know, duo. So it it was so different back then. But like you're talking about Bob Waterfield, who brought the, uh, the Rams their first championship in Cleveland. And then you have Norm Van Brocklin. So you have two Hall of Famers. Only one has their number retired, which is just insane. Uh, Waterfield was like, you know how Taysom Hill is today? Waterfield was that times 10. Mm. Because Waterfield was actually good at throwing the football. (laughs) So, So, you know, that's the thing is the Rams had two Hall of Fame quarterbacks. So people make the argument, well, Joe Stidahart had two Hall of Fame quarterbacks. Yes, but what he did with what he had around him was he put guys in position to succeed, and ultimately it led to a 51 championship. That's what happened. Um, Now, Elroy Hirsch was huge in that run because Elroy Hirsch was the run-after-the-catch monster. The thing about him is that he wasn't just a great route runner. He didn't just have a great release. He wasn't just faster than everyone. If you watch him, like you see the same things that you saw with Jim Brown. Obviously, he doesn't run people over like Brown, but he was so good at making people miss. And the funny way he ran is it actually made him really hard to tackle like shoestring tackle. We're talking. That was what I love from, from some of the packages that I've gone back and watched and they talk about the yards after the catch and just how he creates angles. And he really, uh, you see a lot of players now kind of doing that hesitation step and like, am I going this way? Am I, and they go on with the power run. He was starting that in the fifties. My man was hesitating everybody up and down the field. And, And like you said, with the crazy, running style. It was almost like he didn't know where he was going, uh, breaking tackles and also creating great angles to just outrun people. And it was really interesting, as you kind of mentioned about his dominating uh, 1951 season and all those you know numbers that he puts up. And then in 1952, uh, the owner at the time, Dan Reeves, buys out Stidhar's contract and gives it over to running back coach Hampton Poole. And that's what we're going to talk oh, about man. next, because the <laughs> other what if is what if they didn't make that coaching change. What if none of that drama happened? Uh, how good would he have been? And we already know about some of the amazing stats. But again, you talked about that's probably late in his prime right there where he still had a lot to give. But the organization kind of went a different way with kind of the running game. We're going to talk about that next and a little bit of some Hollywood love as well. This is Vinny Iyer, host of Locked on Fancy Football with your Locked on Fancy Football Edge of the Day. Tight end is a prime position for finding fantasy football sleeper value in 2020. After George Kittle and Travis Kelsey go off the board early, don't worry. You can wait and still get some great return for a starter at the position. The two prime targets both have HH for initials, the Chargers Hunter Henry and the Falcons Hayden Hurst. 
A healthy Henry can have a monster downfield receiving season for new QB Tyrod Taylor and carries high TD upside. As for Hurst, he's stepping right into the productive spot vacated by Austin Hooper in Atlanta as key support to Matt Ryan, Julio Jones, and Calvin Ridley. Trust in Henry a little earlier and Hurst a little later to give you some pleasing tight end one results. Get the edge in your fantasy football league every day by listening to Locked On Fantasy Football on your preferred podcast provider. So as we left the last segment talking about uh, that amazing season that he had, that unlike anyone we've really seen in the NFL since, especially knowing that it was, what, 12 games that we mentioned, just incredible to think. Uh, now you're looking at an NFL that's going to have 17 games. So uh, interesting how those records kind of show even in the back, and that guy's going to fall down uh, the list as you look at all-time numbers go, but you understand 12 games, pretty impressive. But as I mentioned in that 1952 season, uh, Hampton pool takes over, uh, they go nine and two in that first season, but they start to kind of run a more balanced attack and you start to see his targets go down, his yards go down, the touchdowns go down. Uh, and that's kind of how he fizzled out of the NFL. And I don't want to say that as much, but, uh, talk to me about kind of how that changed everything when that coaching change happened and they went away from the air attack. Yeah, so it, it's really weird because I, I don't know how you look at like, yeah, this guy definitely won us a championship. I mean, obviously, don't get me wrong. You know, you can make the argument they were they, they lost four games that year, uh, but they were the best team, um, you know, and, and they, they had all these Hall of Famers. But again, Joe Stidahar put them in position to succeed, and he created the greatest show on grass. Before the greatest show on turf existed, the greatest show on grass was a thing 50 years before it. And that was Joe Stidahar because instead of following the leader, he decided to be the leader. And so, you know, he wanted to adopt a high octane passing attack. And I mean, the thing that people don't understand about that season is they were, I mean, they were incredible. Um, I mean, they're, they're first in almost every passing statistic, but they also ran the ball the seventh most in the league. They had third most in rushing yards, second most in rushing touchdowns, first in yards per uh, carry attempt. So, you know, I mean, obviously they had the bull elephant backfield. They had three really, really, really good running backs. Um, I think Hampton Poole being the running back coach uh, overrated how big of a job he did. Um and I think, right. you know, we've seen it throughout history, different guys derailed different scenarios. And here's the interesting thing. 1952, it's one game. The Rams lose to the Cleveland Browns to start the season. And it's by a blowout of 37 to seven. Everybody knows there's something going on with Hampton pool. Uh, the media knows Dan Reeves is trying to nip it in the bud. Um, or sorry, not Hampton. Well, yes, Hampton Pool, but Joe Stidahar. So surprisingly, after winning a championship, imagine doing that. Uh, after winning a championship, the first game of the year, they get blown out the next year, and uh, they basically force him to resign. So they buy out his contract. That's crazy. It, it's bizarre. It's something that would never happen in today's era, but it is did happen. Well, I don't know. I, I could argue that it could happen because some of these high profile coaches, owners, they get so stubborn when it comes to it. And, and you're right to see it kind of fall apart there, you know, as as you kind of, you know, going into that season, coming off the championship season and then just how 
you know, the stats kind of fall off. And I want to get to something. I know you're probably going a little bit deeper in this, but I just realized we're in the third segment and I haven't talked to you at all about him being the GM. So I'm going to fast forward a little bit here and kind of get us so we can get a little bit of this in because this is an interesting part too. Uh, in that, I think it's 53 is when he has his first uh, movie role in Hollywood. He goes on to be in a couple different movies from that time period on. And there's really, you know, he was a, a big advertiser as well. And this is when, you know, the whole advertising world in sports was starting to come to yeah, life. Ovaltine. Um, and then <laughs> no when, flavoring. Yeah, exactly. The Ovaltine. Make sure you drink this. It better be Ovaltine. Uh, just watch that commercial today so as good. well. Uh, but, you know, you look at him leaving the Rams and there was talk that, man, he could walk right into Hollywood and continue that career. Um, he steps away from the game for a couple of years, then comes back as a GM. Uh, talk to me about what if he never came back as a GM because he was a part of some really big historic moments. And maybe one argument could be that he was more important as a GM than he was as a player to the Rams. And that's such a big thing to say. And it really, it, it just, you know, it's a testament to how important this guy is in history and why I'm absolutely shocked his number isn't retired. Um, but that regardless, look, you know, Elroy Hirsch was a phenomenal football player and he is an all decade type of player. He's an all century type of player and the NFL uh, awarded him with that. Um, you know, unfortunately he passed away pretty early on in the two thousands and didn't have an opportunity to see all that. But, uh, you know, I don't think he's complaining. He had a very, very good life. Um, with that being said though, you know, I, I think it's very important for people to realize that this guy was one of the guys that just kind of went past just the, uh, every day. Oh, well I played for the Rams he actually is a huge reason the Rams recovered from what Hampton Poole did because Hampton Poole was the running back coach, wandered around the football, went away from the incredible passing attack Joe Sidahar put together. And keep in mind, Bob Waterfield was pretty much out the door. Like, you know, he was getting up there mm. in age. Dude was winning, you know, he won the championship in the you know 45 season, uh, you know, against the, um, you know, the, the Browns. So, yeah, I mean... You know, I, I think at the end of the day, um, you know, for the Cleveland Rams, but I think at the end of the day, the thing that makes this is so incredible is that he comes back, he takes about a two year break, and then Elroy Hirsch is like, you know what, Dan Reeves, I'm willing to be your GM. And so he comes on board, and the team is struggling because, you know, they do not have the coach they're looking for, right? Because when he comes on board, you know, you're seeing. I mean, you even see Bob Waterfield take over at some point. They go through the Sid, you know, the legendary Sid Gilman. Uh, they go through his era. Bob Waterfield struggles. Uh, so here's the crazy part is so they go through struggling on the field. Uh, Billy Wade eventually takes over, uh, who is who was drafted first overall by the Rams because it's a, it's a different time back then. You would draft your quarterback while you had your quarterback and wait, you know, five years for him to come aboard. Right. Um, Billy Wade struggles like he's got the talent. It's clear. Uh, but the post Norm Van Brocklin, Bob Waterfield era is off to a piss poor start, to say the least. So Billy Wade, you know, he had a good, uh, you know, year or not good, but solid year in, in 58 and then starts to go downhill uh, in, in the, you know, the coming, um, you know, games or uh, the coming years. Uh, Wade was waiting behind Norm Van Brocklin. So then finally, um you know, you have Elroy Hirsch come into the scene as the GM and he makes the really bold trade here 
Billy Wade, people were, were still thinking it's going to turn the corner and be the superstar quarterback that they, uh, you know, were thinking. He didn't have end up having a bad career, but are we talking about Billy Wade today? Or are we talking about Roman Gabriel? That's how we have to look at this. Right. So Billy Wade gets traded away for a pile of scrap. I mean, we're talking about Zeke Bratkowski, who just was even worse. I mean, he was horrible. He went two and nine. <laughs> he was just flat out terrible. Uh, they got, you know, a, a defensive back um, crow, and then they got a first round pick. And so that first round pick is really huge to the story because the next season, the next draft, uh, the Rams are able to select Roman Gabriel. So that's right. They have their franchise quarterback. Elroy comes in and says, nope, we're trading him. It's a ballsy trade. He he definitely took some flack for it, um, but it made sense because they were able to get Roman Gabriel at two. Oh, they had back-to-back picks. So then at three, because they were so bad, uh, they got Merlin, uh, Merlin Olsen. So, you know... You can't discount the fact that, you know, without Elroy Hirsch, we don't know for sure, but without Elroy Hirsch, there's a pretty good bet that this fearsome foursome was not created. And if you really look, Mm. it's not just Merlin Olsen. Look at the fact that he's the one, when he was the GM, they drafted Deacon Jones, who's the greatest pass rusher probably ever. They, They drafted him in the 14th round. I was going to say, I was, I knew it was late. I thought it was 10, but 14, man, that's another thing that's crazy about, you know, these drafts is how many rounds these guys went. And then really the great time, you know, 14th round, you're getting a guy who's a legend. This was his um, first draft amazing. too, Bear. This, this is, this is before exactly. Roman, I, because I forgot to bring this up. I mean, you talk about getting Marlon McKeever from USC, uh, you know, a Pro Bowl linebacker. Uh, round four, they draft Pro Bowl tackle Charlie Cowan. You know, in that same draft, round 10, Hurst drafts all-pro tackle Joe Sabelli. And then he follows it up, round 14, getting David Deacon Jones. I mean, that is a draft, man. And you you have to keep in mind, there's a lot of these picks where, like, these guys would never play. Or they, you know, they'd be drafted for just stash reasons. So, and the, you nail that many thing, picks in that type of era when there are all those rounds and there's not as many teams. So those rounds are kind of, you know, inflated a little bit. Uh, it's a big deal. And the thing I love about the story is it comes full circle because this whole thing, as we talked about in the first segment, is he wanted to stay close to home in Wisconsin, uh, and he returns to the Wisconsin Badgers in 69, becomes the school's athletic director, and then kind of in his last couple of years involved in the sport, 1987, uh, he finishes his career as a radio color commentator for Wisconsin football, uh, enters into the Hall of Fame, College Football Hall of Fame in 1974. Um, pretty awesome to see that he Finally got to end up where he wanted to be. But in between all of this, all those what ifs, all the different decisions that were made, uh, him as a player, him in the military, him in Hollywood, which we touched on a little bit here. But then, you know, also him coming back and being a GM. So many amazing things. There's so many people out there complaining about what the Rams logo and colors look like. They should be claiming, should be complaining that Elroy Hirsch isn't in the Rams Hall of Fame. As you mentioned, that should be a bigger fight. This guy is a legend in Rams history and kind of just because of what we started this out with too, is that we don't have a lot of access to uh, that game film, that stuff. It kind of goes back in history and not, isn't talked about as much, but man, was he legendary, not only on the playing career, uh, but on the GM side for the Los Angeles Rams in the history of what they'd done from championships to going and getting, 
you know, all pro Hall of Fame players. Amazing stuff. Jake, we appreciate, as always, you coming on. Guys, if you want to read more about this story and more about uh, everything that we talked about today, you got to go over to downtownrams.com. Uh, Jake's put together an incredible article, which really sparked the idea to have this conversation today. Uh, so we appreciate him for putting that up and then coming on and talking to us about it because amazing stuff, not only here in the 2000s, but going all the way back into the 50s and the history of the Rams. Uh, Jake, man, we look forward to talking to you again uh, here in the near future and talking a little bit more of relevant stuff as far as time uh, is considered, but appreciate your time as always. Absolutely. It's, it's always a pleasure. And, you know, we're, we're just, we're lucky to, you know, have these guys in this history. I mean, you know, if you're a Rams fan, you have to be proud. I don't care what anyone says about the championships. I mean, I know we ignore two of them uh, being made. I know the 1951, you're not going to see a banner on, you know, someone's car or anything like that, but you know, maybe we should start caring a little bit more about our history. I think, you know, at the end of the day, you know, you talk about, uh, you know, all these great teams, right? I know everyone always mentions the the Cowboys and the 49ers and, you know, the Steelers and the Patriots. And it's like, yes, they have the Super Bowls. But at the end of the day, name more, more than three teams that have better history than the Rams. I mean, they were the first team. They And talk about just completely being, uh, you know, the boundary breakers. You know, they're the first team to Fred Gerke paints the, you know, the logo on the helmet. The horns on the helmet, yep. the first team to ever have a logo on their helmet. Uh, you know, talk about, you know, getting uh, Washington, uh, the first ever black player in the NFL. And they sign him. They, you know, create they they break that boundary. They were the first team, uh, regardless of how you feel about the LGBTQ community. They were the first team to acknowledge that um in you know i would say they were the first team by mile to acknowledge that and then uh yeah. they were the first team again regardless how you feel they're the first team to ever draft uh you know a, a player that has come out as uh gay in the sport so they're a team of firsts they're also the first team to have hey, the bone and <laughs> so you know i was gonna say and for you jersey nuts the first team to have the bone color jersey if you want to talk about how they can continue uh, to try to stretch the boundaries and 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 be innovative in this game. So uh, really awesome stuff. We're going to look to try to do maybe a couple more of these what-if uh, scenarios. So if you guys are listeners, if you have any ideas of a conversation that you think would be really fun to have, uh, shoot us a message and let us know what that is. We'll try to get some people on to talk about it. Uh, we'll look to have maybe one or two more of these, and uh, we'll get back to doing some crossovers. We'll get back to kind of doing some roster breakdowns. But this is kind of a nice, fun uh, time in between here in this offseason to talk about it as uh, football is looking like they're trying to keep it on time on schedule. So we'll get back to that here soon. But these are fun stories to tell. We appreciate Jake for joining us. Uh, but with that said, Rams Nation, you know what it is. Until next time. Peace. Hey, Locked On listeners, you already love our network of NFL shows, so why go anywhere else for the fantasy football information you need to know for the 2020 season? You just need to check out Locked On Fantasy Football, hosted by me, Vinny Iyer. We're counting down to the season by breaking down players and teams every day. It's no-nonsense, straight-to-the-point, smart fantasy football analysis that has only two goals in mind, helping you dominate your drafts and win your league championship. 
That's Locked On Fantasy Football, only on the Locked On Network.